Adam. He says he's a representative head, just as Adam's one sin brought death, unfailingly so, so Christ's one act of righteousness brings life and justification. And even when there was no personal sin, I was condemned. And so I am justified even when there's no personal righteousness. And there isn't. Remember what he just said? We had no personal righteousness. And yet he justified us. Just as Adam's sin brought condemnation without any personal guilt on our part, no sin of it all, so Christ's one act of righteousness brings justification when there's no personal righteousness, and there isn't. We have none. As I say, our justification depends on another. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Adam and Christ. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. For until the law, and he's speaking of the Mosaic law, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even though over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's offense, who is a type of him who was to come. Uh, Until the law, sin was in the world, but sin isn't imputed when there is no law. Yet, all this time before Moses, people were dying, death was reigning. What's the deal here? Well, the death resulted from Adam's sin. And in one sense, what he's saying here, and I don't want to be misunderstood, and he doesn't want to be misunderstood, but he says it very clearly. We die because Adam brought condemnation to the whole race when he sinned. Now, we need to see that Adam sinned as a representative. His name means mankind, man. And he sinned as a representative of the whole race. And we don't think of it much that way, especially in the Western world. We're so individualistic, we think in terms of our own actions being independent from everybody else's, and we don't see the corporate responsibilities we have. But uh, but still, we can understand this. I think and the Bible even gives analogies of this. You know, when Adam sinned, I sinned. Uh, during the war, World War II, uh, my dad checked into the Army Air Force in Florida. And uh, during the war then, my grandpa came out here from Florida out to Hood River and out really out to Portland at the time to uh, work in the shipyards during the war. And when my dad got out of the, out of the service, he came back here to the Northwest. I came out here to the Northwest. I didn't have any choice. I was born out here in Oregon. That's just the way things work. Turn over to Hebrews 7 for a minute. Let me show you a quick analogy of this, and I hope uh, you can just take a quick peek at it with me. In Hebrews 7, he's using this same truth uh, to illustrate another truth. In Genesis, why Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And in the book of Hebrews, he's pointing out Uh, Chapter 7, verse 14, that our Lord is our high priest, but it's evident that he wasn't born into the priesthood tribe. He wasn't born into the tribe of Levi. He was born into the tribe of Judah. Verse 14, it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. 
But he goes on, if you remember, in Hebrews and points out that, no, our Lord was really a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then he shows that that priesthood, which is in Genesis 14, is a higher one, a greater one than even the Levitical priesthood. Step back at verse uh, 6, and he says, the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham. When Abraham came back from the warfare, he tithed to Melchizedek in Genesis 14 and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. Levi paid tithes, and this would shock the Jewish mind. You mean the priest? The priesthood tribe? The Levitical priests paid tithes to another? Yeah. Verse 10, for he was still in the loins of his father Abraham when Melchizedek met him. It was Abraham, really, his, uh, what, great-grandfather who paid tithes to Melchizedek, but Levi did so, the Bible says by analogy. Now, turn back to Romans 5 and notice that Paul doesn't defend this. He just simply states it. He doesn't apologize for it. He simply says, Adam sinned, we all sinned. Now, there was no written law prior to Moses. And so people didn't sin in the same way that Adam had. Adam sinned in willful disobedience to a direct command of God. And sin is not imputed when there is no law, he says, but yet death reigned throughout this whole era. Why is that? Because Adam sinned and brought death to the whole race. We die not for our personal sin, in effect, but for Adam's sin. By the way, this truth of imputation or having something charged to our account or having something charged to Christ's account, there are three imputations in the Bible. And uh, the flesh hates all three of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? The natural man doesn't like them. He just doesn't want to hear about them. If you're sitting here bristling, not liking what you're hearing, it won't surprise me because all three of the imputations the flesh doesn't like. And I've talked to people personally over the years on each one of these three and seen them just say, I, can't, I don't like that. I, don't, I can't accept that. And so they just willfully try not to, but they live with the consequences. And sometimes uh, that is enough in itself to help them awake. First, there's Adam's sin to the race. Adam's sin was charged to my account. That's all there is to it. First imputation. Second imputation, the race's sin was charged to Christ's account. And third imputation, Christ's righteousness is charged to our account, was imputed to us. Oh, think about it. Uh, Romans 5 states two of the three, and 2 Corinthians 5.21 states it so clearly, the other sides of these two truths. Uh, he made him who knew no sin, Christ, to be sin on our behalf. Our sin was placed on him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf in order that the righteousness of God might be imputed to us. As I say, the flesh doesn't like to hear these truths, but uh, they are great truths and they're the foundation for our salvation. Now... Adam is a type of him who was to come. How? 
Well, he goes on and explains it. He says he's a representative head. Just as Adam's one sin brought death, unfailingly so, so Christ's one act of righteousness brings life and justification. And even when there was no personal sin, I was condemned. And so I am justified even when there's no personal righteousness. And there isn't. Remember what he just said? I mean, if you were with us last time, look back to verse 6, 7, 8, 9. We were helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. We had no personal righteousness, and yet he justified us. Just as Adam's sin brought condemnation without any personal guilt on our part, no sin at all, so Christ's one act of righteousness brings justification when there's no personal righteousness, and there isn't. We have none. As I say, our justification depends on another. Now, watch him unfold to verse 15. The free gift is not like the transgression. He shows some of the uh, differences now. He says the free gift isn't like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. He says it again in verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Now he takes Adam's act and Christ's act and contrasts them. And the key word is found in verse 15 and verse 17, much more. If... Adam's sin brought death, and it did, with certainty. Then just as certainly, Christ's act at the cross brings justification of life. In fact, I shouldn't say just as certainly. More certainly, much more certainly. Now, stop and think about that. Do you know anybody that's escaping death? No, it's certain. You say, I don't like that. I don't think that's fair. It doesn't matter whether you like it. doesn't matter whether you think it's fair. doesn't matter. You can start your own religion. People do it all the time. And they say, I don't like that. And they die anyway, don't they? It's certain in Adam. Death. I don't care how rich you are. You could be a multi-billionaire and you can't buy your way out of death. It's just a problem, isn't it? It's a real, it's the problem in life. And we don't stop and think about that very often, or as often as we ought to. But if that's gotten a hold of you, and I hope it has, because it's the beginning point of sanity in thinking about these things. You're going to die. You can't do anything about it. You can say, I don't even believe in Adam. He was a myth. If you want to, you'll still die because of Adam's sin. The whole race is dead and dying. Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all the Christians. All of Christendom, no, it spread to all men. The Hindus excluded because they believe, no. It spread to all men because all sinned. Just as certain as that is, much more, he says, justification of life is certain to those who receive the gift of grace and the righteousness of life in Christ Jesus. I mean... Uh, He spent two and a half chapters explaining how certain death is from sin. 
that we are dead spiritually because of sin. Now he says much more, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Christian, your justification is more certain, much more certain than death. People say there's only two things you can count on, you know, death and taxes. Well, I'll tell you something. Your justification, your life in Christ is much more certain than your death was certain in Adam. How can he be? Well, because there was a solution for that death in Adam. Jesus Christ was coming, and God began to promise the Savior immediately. And as certain as men die in Christ, there was and is, I mean, die in Adam, excuse me, uh, there was and is a Savior promised, and He came, and He defeated death, and He lives forever. And when God puts you into Christ, there is no, no possibility of ever losing that life that you have. Now, let me just note a couple things there. Look at verse, uh, well, you can look really everywhere, but uh, verse 15, the grace of God, it's called. The, the, uh, the act that he's emphasizing is the act of one man, Jesus Christ, and the humanity of Christ is what's emphasized here. But even in doing this, he cannot get away from, and the Bible always attests to his deity. It's his humanity that is emphasized because as the one man, Adam, sinned, so the second man, the last Adam, came, and he died. So his humanity is what's emphasized, but look at verse 15. Once he calls it the grace of God, the next breath he calls it the grace of who? The one man, Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? God in the flesh, Emmanuel. And then notice verse 15, 16, and 17. You can count them five times. He uses this phrase, gift or free gift. How did you get into Adam? You were born into Adam. That's how. You didn't have anything to do with it, you say. I, I couldn't help. I didn't ask to be born, people say. You were born into Adam. How do you get into Christ? You're born into Christ. Somebody says, I don't think it's fair that God would judge me for Adam. Said, I didn't have anything to do with it. Receive Christ. You didn't have anything to do with what he did for you either. Receive the free gift that God offers in Jesus Christ, and you will have righteousness that you had nothing to do with, that he did at the cross for you, that he planned from all eternity to give his son for you. Receive the gift of Jesus Christ and be born again. Don't marvel that I said to you, Jesus said, you've got to be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of Adam is cursed. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Then read verse 18. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness. Not a bunch of acts. It wasn't Christ's perfect life that saved. No, it was His one act of righteousness there resulted of justification of life to all men. It was Christ going to the cross. That's why the Bible says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's why wherever the Holy Spirit is really working, He is working through the proclamation of the person and work 
of Jesus Christ at the cross. It is finished, the finished work of Christ, the one act of righteousness, he says. For as through, verse 19, one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. God's plan of justification rests solely on another, Jesus Christ. It rests solely on our great representative head, Jesus Christ. Not only your justification, but that lays the foundation for what's going to come in chapters 6, 7, and 8. Our sanctification is found in another, Jesus Christ, our representative. Now, Paul, as I say, doesn't give any defense for this. He proclaims it fearlessly and freely and with boldness. He's forceful about it. He says it time and time again. And we ought to say this clearly. And Christian, get hold of this. Non-Christian, if you're battling this, accept what He's done for you. Turn to the one who died on your behalf. Enjoy it. Rejoice in a God who would send His Son to the cross on your behalf, who would so represent you that He bore your sins in His body on the cross, that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. Well, now somebody says, well, if, if everything's dependent on Adam and Christ, then why the law? Well, look at the last two verses. The law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why the law then? Well, basically, the law came in, he says, that transgression might increase. The law was given through Moses, and you can see the temporary nature of the law in all this. Adam died when he sinned, and the race has been dead, and there's another one, the last Adam, who lives and is the new head of a new race. Well, why the law then? Well, the law came in that transgression might increase. The law came in to show us, to prove to us that we are all nothing but like what Adam was, sinners. The law came in to show us our sin. By the way, stop and look at verse uh, 20 there. The law came in that transgression might increase. How does that work? Well, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law just brings out what's in us. It's like the proverbial wet paint sign, you know. You had no inclination. You weren't even thinking about touching it until you saw the sign, you know. Law comes in and just draws out the sinful tendency in us to break the law. By the way, parents, consider that. Be careful what you prohibit and mean it. And as your children get older, remember that law just increases that desire. So don't, don't uh, be frivolous in what you prohibit. And by the way, children, especially I'm speaking to you older ones now, you young people, when you say, well, it just makes me want to realize that's a sinful tendency. That's an Adam-type tendency. You know, really, I shouldn't say Adam, although he sinned in this likeness. But ever since Moses and the law really came into force, that's been the tendency. So don't you excuse your disobedience by saying, it just makes me want to all the more. No, it's a sinful tendency. So draw wisdom from this. But what he's after here is that the law 
only showed us what we really are, but where our sin increased, praise the Lord. Look at verse 21. Grace abounded all the more, the end of verse 20. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I said earlier, God held a judgment day in Eden. God also held a judgment day at Calvary. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. Judgment fell on another at Calvary. Truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Oh, Christian, enjoy this. Your security rests solely on what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross. Don't be looking for security inside you, what Christ is doing in you. Look at what Christ did for you at the cross and glory in it, exult in it. Just as Adam condemned you, so Christ saved you. And our uh, trust is to be holy in Christ. Our dependence on Him is entire. And hence, our justification is certain and permanent. Oh, enjoy that. And if you're here without Christ, don't put Him off today. If you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. If you spurn Christ, you will die. And the Bible speaks of physical death and eternal death and the second death. And you will die, not because of Adam's sin, but because you spurned the last Adam. Turn and let me, or you don't even need to turn, just listen to Paul's statement of it, the great statement in Corinthians. So also it is written, the first man Adam became a living soul, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Oh, what grace that offers you identification with Jesus Christ. And I repeat it. If you leave here and die the second death, the eternal death, it will be because you spurned the gift of the grace of the righteousness of God available in Christ. Don't you shake your fist at Adam. You just open your arms to the blessed gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Adam and Christ, a message from our series in the book of Romans. 
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We've been in it quite a while. We've read five and a half chapters. We're halfway into the sixth chapter before Paul has any command, and it is this. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It must be fairly important. It's the first one he gets to. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Does Grace Promote Sin? Till then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.